0: This is the Open School of Business, the podcast dedicated to success by delivering insightful conversations with business experts from different walks of life. Here's your host, Anaro Musakwa, entrepreneur and a project management professional. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please leave your comments and questions, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. Let's begin. Hello, and welcome to my podcast. Today, I have the honor to introduce you to Dave McCarthy, uh, the individual who can really speed up your entrepreneurial and your investment game at the same time. He's an associate director at Accelerate DC at George Washington University. The purpose of this Accelerate DC incubator is to bring the benefits of iCorps to early stage non-university affiliated technology startups in greater Washington DC area. Dave is also an executive director at Potential Energy DC Incubator, which he launched by himself and worked Uh, and consistently helping startups, offering groundbreaking solution to energy issues. He formed multiple entities uh, for pulling angel capital uh, in energy solution startups again. And throughout um, his career, he's been in technology, engineering. His background is in system engineering, and he had a brilliant career in corporate world. Uh, one of them is the executive VP at um, Windrose Media LLC, uh, and that company focused on live and on-demand webcasting services. Uh, his entrepreneurial road uh, started with a company called RunFast, um, and it's a multimedia-based online training systems designed to meet the needs of commercial corporations. Uh, he successfully positioned the company as the leading reseller and integrator of uh, click safety training uh, solutions. Hi, Dave. Uh, Hi,
1: Anar. That was a wonderful intro. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Uh, well, you do have a wealth of experience that you bring. and. Uh, Uh, We would like to share uh, a lot of lessons learned and a lot of tips from your life and your career. Uh, But the first question (laughs) would be around what do you do now? What Are you focused? What's on your plate today? Sure.
1: Uh, You hit the main topic, which is my role at GW. Uh, So I'm the associate director for ICOR programming here at GW. It's a very broad role, so I work a lot with very deep tech startups uh, coming spinning out of the university. So uh, professors and grad students students have generated intellectual property. We help them with the first steps of getting out of the lab and exploring marketplace opportunities for Mm -hmm. the technology. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in addition to that, I, I'll use a baseball analogy because we're in the World Series. Uh, I also consider myself the utility infielder of the team at GW, where if I need to play first base one day or second base or shortstop or you know, be a pinch hitter, uh, those things at GW are uh, Lex McCusker and I, a colleague at GW, we ran the first ever summer startup accelerator at GW. So it's kind of like playing shortstop. I see. Uh, and mm-hmm. then now I'm on, I have a, a role of putting together the forced GW-affiliated angel network. Uh, so it's kind of my sh- uh, third base role. Um, so uh, kind of taking a, a lot of the one-off strategic projects around GW to help uh, build out the ecosystem for these startups. Uh, one of the things we found was that um, through i then also through the Summer Startup Accelerator, we were creating a lot of very interesting deal flow along the way. And it was sort of going out to the marketplace and trying to find money. Well, it made a lot of sense to, you know, one of the hardest things about investing is finding good deal flow. So we were, we were finding that, but not really capitalizing on the next step. Right, and So that's what we're doing now is trying to come up with the right mechanism to get some of those early funding rounds done with some of these startups that are spinning out of GW.
0: I see. That's very um, interesting and um, what you know, what you just mentioned about you being a uh, multi, uh, multi-dimensional player, mm-hmm. let's say, uh, is the versatility and I think it's so important um, to have the versatility when you're an entrepreneur. Um, so can you tell us more about the i program in general for the benefit of the audience? Who sure. Might not know? So uh,
1: the, the crux of the i program can be summed up as a customer discovery experience. So we work with, I mentioned, a lot of deep tech startups. So these are people that have spent their life uh, in the lab studying physics, studying chemistry, material science, uh, computational biology. Uh, but they don't have the experience of being out in the business world. And mm-hmm. so what i does is it's a seven week long program that requires a hundred customer interviews to complete. And people are publicly shamed if, if they don't complete <laughs> those. Um, and so it, it's really giving these deep scientists the opportunity to develop things that we call their own special secrets and in knowledge insight about how the market works. And exploring these opportunities to, um, you know, how to leverage these technologies they've been working on in, in a market setting. You know, it's, some people say go out into the real world, but I, I right. kind of view that as, as almost pejorative sometimes. I you know, see. where the science is, is real world as well as as well as the business world. It just gives them a, a different lens to kind of view their technology through of you know, what are the applications in the business world, or what can they get paid for for doing this type of science. All so right. yeah, so you know, so I- Icor basically takes you know deep scientists in forces them at some level to go out and start to talk to the marketplace about applications.
0: Yes. I mean, we live in a world now that we can talk to our customers instantly and find them and really build what they need rather than, you know, research research and spit out a product that nobody wants to use, for yeah. example. It, so so one, it's one of the, amazing. Yeah. One, one of the mantras they're...
1: in the i world is the number one reason why startups fail is that they build somebody nobody they build something that nobody they build something that nobody wants that's not right (laughs) let me break break on that (laughs) uh the number one reason why companies fail is that they build something that that nobody wants to buy is that right is that the right phraseology they build something that nobody wants to use yeah so so all right edit point so companies end up building something that nobody wants, right? So, yes. so the, the customer discovery experience is sort of putting the value proposition definition ahead of the product development so that when these deep scientists are going out, they're not building something and they fall into the uh, build it and they will come snafu that a, a lot of people fall into because they, they, mm-hmm. uh, scientists tend to love what they're working on and think everybody else is going to love what they're working on. But right. that, doesn't always, that doesn't always happen at, at in the business.
0: I, I think this is something that artists and scientists share. Yeah. They, they love what they are doing, and it might not something that people are willing to buy or something that is needed at the moment. Because yeah. they say, you know, you have to solve the problem, address the pain pointers, yeah. or get some inspirational product that's going to enhance their lives. So and you obviously have to ask the people first what are their importers or what are the things that they want to aspire to. Yeah, and, and um, I think your
1: analogy between the scientist and the artist is is really appropriate because yeah. the you know the artist and the scientist both you know, de- devote their lives to the, the creations or the study that they're undergoing. And they can get very close to that, and and there there is this sense of um, ownership. And you know, love and passion for what they're working on, but they, but oftentimes artists and scientists have a hard time stepping back and, and seeing their invention or their creation through other people's eyes. And in this sense, it's you know, yeah. it's seeing it through the eyes of the marketplace and, and what is somebody willing to pay for to solve a problem.
0: Yes, uh, and uh, uh, the question would be the follow-up is that uh, to really become a uh, an excellent entrepreneur and a a business person, you really need to invest so many uh, years into it. So how do these scientists, you know, being really focused on their uh, scientific discoveries and research, how do they switch the gears? Or do they ever consider partnering up and collaborating with the real uh, business person, let's
1: say. It's a it's a very unique person that can pivot from being a scientist their whole life right. to then all of a sudden becoming a business person, right? Um, and so what we do through I-Corps and, and broadly through GW and, and outside of my GW life as well, um, we really encourage the scientists to partner with people, mm-hmm. right? Because there are people on the sort of, I'll say, other side of the fence or other right. side of the table, um, that have devoted their lives to how to commercialize things. And so yes. when you can get that magic to happen of a very unique science partnered with somebody that knows how to commercialize, that's where you know, the success ha- has a real chance to, to happen. Mm-hmm. And so in my own evaluations of a- angel deals and investments that are on the table, you know, one of the, the, the first criteria is um, the team. Mm-hmm. And how well the team works together, how long the team has worked together uh, and you know even into the nitty-gritty of how are they sharing the equity of the company along the way you know you hear of founder fights and divorces of companies and this and that yes. but you know it's the, the coming together of, of these multi-talented or a multi-talented team and are they really positioned for success long term so yeah so to, to think a, a scientist can just hop out of the lab and immediately commercialize it I, I think is unrealistic right and, from the investment side of the table, we always look at what what the team is like, mm-hmm. um, and I can even go into one more level of detail yeah. if you don't mind. But, of course. You know, thinking about how I have a deal screener spreadsheet that I keep, and the, the very first column is oh, team, great. Mm-hmm. and the the team is ranked zero to ten, and if it's a solopreneur, like a, an individual trying to run and start a company alone. That's a very low ranking, a very low number on that zero to 10 scale.
0: I see. Yeah. And that would be mostly in the research, medical, or energy uh, fields. What about, what if it was something that didn't really require knowledge of, uh, let's say, I, what, I, what if someone has the business acumen and they their software developer, I don't know, some kind of an just app? There's or... so many things
1: <laughs> to, to keep an eye on. Um, we use a framework called the uh, Key Activities Analysis, um, mm-hmm. and th- there are eight different key activities, everything from customer discovery, product development, um, marketing and sales, manufacturing, logistics, business administration, finance, and, and raising. To have a a, a successful company, there's just too many things to try to focus on. I mean, it's hard to focus on seven or eight key things because then you're not focusing.
0: Right, exactly. So you need to focus and you need to collaborate with other people who are also focused in their own industries, in their own sphere. Uh, I
1: I can tell you an an example of that. Recently, uh, I was hearing a talk. Uh, by the chief operating officer from Peloton that just launched yes. with our IPO a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that individual was a GW graduate, mm-hmm. um, but he talked a lot about the trust that's in, involved among the core founding team to have people all working equally as hard, but mm-hmm. going out and doing different things and then being able to come back and, and report back and, and trust one another that ev- everything's moving forward together, yes. but e- even, I mean, Peloton back in its early days had, I think it was a team of four or five that got started. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know within 10 years, they're a billion-dollar company. So they're a, you know, a GW yeah. person that's launched a- another unicorn.
0: It's amazing. I love that company and their history and yeah. the way they approached uh, working out pretty much. They found something that ticks with everybody. They, yeah. they found the, that golden... Trail like you're really if you're competitive or if you're just into working out, it's so easy with Peloton. Yeah, and you don't you're not gonna abandon it once you're got to a certain level because there are other people who are uh, on a different level and a higher than you, so you want to keep going and going. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, my next question and this it's a good segue into this competitiveness versus collaboration mm. um, and uh, how you really like you mentioned trust i think it's really important because when you don't have trust it prevents you from sharing your work it prevents you from even trusting that other person is going to do their share of the work so there are so many fears around uh uh, collaboration and i would like you to um sort of give was your own opinion about what other things that prevent people from collaboration and what can you do to really enhance the collaboration. Sure, sure. And
1: it's funny how, at least from my experience in the teams I've seen, mm-hmm. that when you're sort of poor and like in the salad days, yeah. um, everybody's willing to work really hard and put in their effort and almost selflessly contribute to the team. Uh, but then as soon as there's money on the table, <laughs> yes. Everybody wants to grab their share. And it can be everything from a student startup team that's going through Mm -hmm. our new venture competition. But as soon as, you know, $5,000 gets on the table, uh, everybody kind of wants their share. want to know how they're going to divide it. (laughs) How am I getting my share of that $5,000? And so one of the things that I strongly recommend, and and this is something that comes through very clearly in any deal that we do a due diligence on, is how are the founders from the beginning Mm -hmm. I mentioned this earlier, mm-hmm. splitting up their equity That's true. so that everybody on the founding team is one you know, motivated to continue working and contributing to the team, but then mm-hmm. also feels like they're being treated very fairly. And it can be right. done in a number of different contractual sort of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you the way that it doesn't usually work, okay. which is a pre-split of equity percentages before you know, they've even started working on the company. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people say, well, it's my idea and I deserve 25% of the company.
0: Right.
1: Usually doesn't work out really well. You know, Mm -hmm. it's usually based on...
0: So how do you recommend to do it? Like work, work, work without any sort of agreement before any money gets in? So uh,
1: one basic structure that we mm -hmm. see is that uh, even the founders have to earn their equity. Nobody is just handed a percentage of the company along the mm. way. And it's in, again, sort of typical round figures are it's usually a four year earn in with what's called a one year cliff. So mm-hmm. somebody has to be with the company for at least a year before they earn e- any equity. Mm-hmm. And their founder's equity is earned over a four year period. And there are very well defined th- uh, things that people need to do to earn that equity. And we, we talked earlier about. Bringing in a team and everybody does different things and everybody contributes to the pie, mm-hmm. um, and you know those different people have different things they need to deliver before they're considering creating having and it all gets down to creating value in the company. All right? right. So if somebody comes in with intellectual property that's been patented, well, that's value that's brought into the company up front. Mm-hmm. But then if you have a great salesperson on initially that's doing the marketing and selling and the sort of the business development side. They earn that over time, as would a CEO or a chief financial officer, but the value that they're creating is defined up front, mm-hmm. and then it's earned over time, that's and, and, right. and the, 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 the kind of the worst scenario mm-hmm. is, is the pre-split, because everybody has certain expectations, and if expectations aren't met, that's right. when kind of the founder fights start, and that's what you want to avoid
0: you but know, two uh, three I years think into a it's very typical, though, in the entrepreneurial world, especially if you're a student, you have your friends or whoever you, the classmates you yeah. hang out with. And then you have this thing like an idea together. Be like, Oh, yeah, let's do this project together. Let's do this. And obviously, since you're almost from the same background, you would be like, oh, yeah, we're going to split it fairly. Yeah. Um, so, but how do you avoid, like, doing that through, like, do not ever get into teams with your friends? <laughs> I, can, I mean, I could imagine that as a tip. But then again, you need to really like the people you work with, in my opinion. I don't know. Maybe you don't have to. Um, so
1: it's What's a- better,
0: to have a really good expert and maybe personally you don't approve of? you know, the way he is or she is. It. It,
1: it, it's, it's, it's a balance of things, mm-hmm. right? So you need to be able to work with your coworkers. And, and when you're doing a startup, I mean, right. if you're not even just doing a startup, but if you're in the startup culture and, right. you know, understanding that certain number of them are going to fail and teams come together and then they break apart and then right. people mix and match all over the place. Um, but it's finding the people that you can work with and trust more than you like like mm-hmm. there's certain people that like in, in my life now that I like going out and having a beer like going out and relaxing on a Friday night going to a concert somewhere mm-hmm. but they're not always the same people that I'm going to want to do business with right, right. and it, it, it's finding that balance of can we work together and trust each other to have create certain value in a company mm-hmm. um, versus just enjoying each other right like we're enjoying this conversation right. um, And, you know, we probably don't know each other well enough to sign legal documents to share equity in a company. Right. right? Exactly. You're developing that trust over time of are you willing to sign those kinds of legal documents that, hey, we're going to commit to do these things over the next four years to earn our
0: equity. Mm -hmm. So people like uh, you worked previously before, Mm -hmm. those would be good candidates. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, or you've seen their companies grow mm-hmm. and they, cert, you know, you know that they're bringing certain abilities, certain skill set. And, uh, but when do you decide when you bring in the person as a team member versus you can use their services as a client? That's sure. also a very yeah. good option.
1: And I, I, I like the idea of phasing things in and phasing people in as well. So, before an entity is really formed legally, um, or you want to commit equity to somebody, you know, bring people in on a consulting basis. Mm-hmm. You know, bring them in as a 1099 and, and pay them as a, an outside person but contributing to the company. And then the next step is to you know, probably think about can they generate the value within your company that's mm-hmm. for which you should you know, create an equity type of position. If not, then then they're a hire. But if they are generating that kind of you know, return on their time, and they're generating, creating the value for the company, maybe there is an equity position to, to put in there. And mm-hmm. you know, it could be a founder, it could be early in, it could be long-term in, in, employee kinds of you know, equity-style benefits.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, I think my next question would be around, uh, you touch upon uh, the trust in terms of the abilities and... And the, uh, and the way they can contribute. What about like their time contribution? Is this something important to say, anybody who is in my startup uh, need to be working, you know, eight hours at least a day, or is it okay to have this like part-time agreements as well? Because sometimes people want to get away from their work to have it more flexible. Yeah. you know. I, I but th- I always say, you know, if it's a startup, it's going to be too much work to, for it to be flexible. But again, it depends. I, I think
1: given the talent level that's required to pull off a startup, um, expecting a very highly well compensated person that's probably earning six figures somewhere to just jump into a startup where they're probably not going to earn six right. figures <laughs> in a very <laughs> comfortable position hard. right away is going to be very hard. So the idea of bringing somebody in like that part time, I think is a great idea. Um, you know, in my nonprofit world running potential Mm -hmm. energy DC, uh, we're actually, I I had been running that just kind of solopreneur ish uh, Mm -hmm. for a number of years. I now have, you know, two senior people that are in helping me that are doing it on a, on a part time basis. So, uh, Mm -hmm. one person that's helping me develop the potential energy angel network, is helping about 10 hours a week. And then somebody that is taking over the responsibilities of running kind of the day-to-day programming of potential energy is in about 10 hours a week as well. So Mm -hmm. they're off doing their own things and and have their own projects because they're driven, motivated, talented people. But they kind of see the mission of what we're trying to do with potential energy and and want to contribute. Um, And so we're we're peeling off small roles and defined roles and deliverables for them to be able to bring in and help me move this mission forward. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So if we can get to the point where we are fully funded and up and running on potential energy, I would love to bring these people in full time. But right now, I don't have a six-figure salary to offer them. So they're, right. they're coming in and contributing in, in smaller ways with smaller compensation along the way.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, uh, yeah I was going to um, get into the nonprofit and the NGO world as well. Because usually when you uh, talk about startups, entrepreneurship, no one even thinks about opening a nonprofit. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let, me, uh, let me kind of ask you what are the benefits, how are you... Have you thought about it? And what are the real uh, things that it really uh, bringing you? Like what sure. goals it helps you to achieve?
1: So um, it was uh, around the time when I was exiting Windrose Media that you mentioned earlier. And uh, the, the founders and I, you know, the three founders, we just ended up with different positions in life after being together for five years. And so we, I ended up exiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had one of those, like, what do I want to do when I grow up? kind of moments, even being 50 years old, but I was, you know, all right, you know, I think approaching 50 different words came into my personal lexicon, like legacy and like, you know, what do you Mm -hmm. want to leave behind? What are the things that you want to, that I want to make sure that I've done along the way? And so I started formulating, okay, what are those legacy things I want to leave behind? What are the things that I want to make sure I get done? And so uh, with a couple of partners in a a team, we we formulated the concept of potential energy. And mm-hmm. so um, we started by bringing together the startups in the region that were energy and sustainability related. Uh, and now we have a, a really good cluster of them. So that was kind of the, our first hypothesis we were testing. Yes. Um, it was, was there a, a deal flow of these companies? And we've come back with a yes. Um, mm-hmm. And now the second piece that we're putting together is the ability to invest in these companies. So we're putting mm-hmm. together our potential energy angel network now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so if the question is sort of why, it, it, mm-hmm. it's uh, just a personal personal mission statement at this point right. um, to try to get some of these glaring problems that I see, you know, traveling the world, and let's try to solve some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in particular, I was uh, on vacation this summer and I was snorkeling in St. Lucia, and you, you'd think, oh, that's so far off the beaten path, and and it was. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I found everywhere. I find it everywhere here and I find it everywhere all the way to St. Lucia and Thailand and everywhere else I've been is mm-hmm. plastic. There is just single-use plastics literally yeah, lit- litter- littering yeah. our globe and there's got to be, to me, a-, a solution to this. We can't just continue to pile up crap everywhere around our planet and expect, you know, the world to be healthy in 50 or 100 years. And so right. it's that sort of motivation that sits behind my work and Potential Energy. Let's find solutions to some of these problems that we're facing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm putting my money where my mouth is. We're <laughs> collecting these companies. Right. We're looking at them as investment opportunities. And now we're investing in some
0: of these companies. Okay, that's in uh, that's really noble. And uh, I really admire that. And, uh, and I guess the question around that is, Um, Can anybody join the network and invest as well? Where people can find out more information about it? Sure. So they can email me
1: (laughs) (laughs) for for the contact. My email is dave at potentialenergydc.org. And that's our website as well, potentialenergydc.org. We are currently rounding up our first 10 founding members of the Angel Network. Uh, And so we're going to launch our angel network in January. Uh, We're currently uh, taking deal flow So go out to the website and let us know that you're looking to raise and we're going to go through our first screening process uh, Mm -hmm. Pitch day within the network and then uh, we have decisions and funding done within 90 days uh, every cycle So we're on a quarterly cycle
0: Uh, And what are the criteria? if you want to sure, be chosen so, as a company. in your Sure, so we have a
1: certain uh, thesis like any other funder or, or angel network. Um, mm-hmm. Part of that thesis is that uh, companies in the D.C. are cheaper to buy into relative to other portions of the country. So mm-hmm. relative to Silicon Valley or Boston and New York or, or Austin at this point, deal mm-hmm. flow here in the D.C. is, I'll say, more reasonably priced. Uh, there's been a lot of price inflation over the past three or four years, mm-hmm. but we think prices here in DC are relatively low still. Okay. So, so that's part of our thesis. Then the stage of the companies that we're looking at, we want to be the first outside money into the company uh, with pro-rata rights for future rounds as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're looking for companies that have some sales. So some level of customer validation done in the marketplace. Um, but probably not enough traction in the market to go out for what would be considered an A an A round. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing we've seen in the market is that uh, e- even people that claim to be angels or in angel networks or in seed funds, they've become a lot more conservative and they want mm-hmm. a lot more de-risking done of product development relative to when they're willing to invest. Mm-hmm. Um, And we're positioning our angel network as kind of a true angel network, where you you don't have to have a million dollars of annual recurring revenue, but you just have to have some revenue to come in. And Mm -hmm. so we like to be right in after friends, family, and sweat equity, we wanna be the next money in. So if you have a product that's in the marketplace and somebody's using it, and during our due diligence, we can go talk to them, um, and the deal makes sense, those are the companies we wanna talk to. Mm -hmm. And so I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, So a company called Green Tech Ventures. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nathaniel Jackson is the CEO. We just invested in in them this summer. And Mm -hmm. they were exactly at that position where they had a very successful pilot uh, in the Florida marketplace. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were looking to expand their capacity in Florida. And so uh, let me talk about what uh, Green Tech does. So Green Mm -hmm. Tech does uh, an algae-based soil amendment that's distributed through the existing irrigation system. So Mm -hmm. picture a strawberry farm that has all of the irrigation system out there to spray water. Well, we put an algae slurry into that water and it just shoots out through the irrigation system. Mm
0: -hmm. And And it's a good way to grow strawberries? Yeah,
1: rejuvenates Mm -hmm. the soil, uh, rebuilds the character of the soil. Mm -hmm. Uh, Farmers talk about the soil being tired um, because it's been stripped of all its nutrients. Well, Mm -hmm. this helps bring sort of that microbiotic life back into the soil. And, and what they found in, in Florida was it increased yields by fifty to sixty percent. Oh wow! Yeah, so yeah. if you are talking to a farmer mm-hmm. uh, that has work, is working tired, tired soil that's been out there for farmed for hundreds of years, right? This is a great way to rejuvenate the soil and increase yields. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's, that's what they do. Yeah. So back to, back to where they were. So that they had a very successful pilot in Florida. Mm-hmm. They're looking to expand operations in Florida and start to branch out into other a- areas of the country and the globe. Uh, what they found is that they're getting even better results in California, mm-hmm. and now they're expanding into Mexico and South America as well. Right. So we were part. And of And there it. are
0: much more, more, many more for farms in California. Yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And
1: so they're also starting to gather data on other crops as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so what do they, they mainly example. like use this money for? What What can they do more yeah. of? Like more. Uh, research and development, more marketing. What's the main use for the angel money? So so that's a good
1: question, because uh, with potential energy angel network, we're we're looking to do more than software. So a lot Mm of uh, angels and and VCs will say, we only do software, it's highly scalable once the first instance is done. Mm -hmm. Potential energy angels is willing to do hardware type things as well. So in the case of green tech ventures, uh, they needed bigger, better hardware to operate mm-hmm. down in Florida, so they, they need money to be able to do that, do the engineering, uh, as well as when they expand into uh, California, they they have a plant, so mm-hmm. they put together a manufacturing plant. So we're helping uh, basically finance things that they would not be able to finance
0: through a bank. All in right. A lot of yeah, ways. it's yeah. exciting. Yeah, so, so it's a real working business with hardware yeah. and things yeah. and it can really make a real difference. Mm-hmm. That's what is great about like as a, opposed to a next app on your phone, yeah. <laughs> which you have tons of and you might not really use it. So, yeah.
1: so we're, we're, we're stepping yeah. in very early stage, first outside money in helping them uh, you know, expand the hardware footprint that they have and then and also the sales marketing element as well. So they're going to need Uh, They're probably a full-time salesperson out on the West Coast. And they already have a small presence in South America, but they might end up expanding that headcount soon as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, that's exciting. So as an investor, uh, what would would be your um, advice? Uh, Where is better to invest? And what kind of returns you can expect from startups if you're an angel?
1: So that's a good question. So, you know, there's a certain... Profile that your typical angel will invest in, um, thinking that they're going to get a certain VC, better than VC style return on. Mm -hmm. Um, With potential energy, we're hoping to do at least that, if not better. Mm -hmm. So just because we sort of have a bit of an altruistic hat on and are willing to do hardware based solutions. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that we're willing to downscale our return expectations. Yes. We still fully expect to meet industry standard, if not better, return profiles on these things.
0: Okay, that, yeah. that's uh, that's good to know because when people see nonprofit, they might get a different idea. Am I, you know, donating? Yeah. or How does it work? So, so. It, just to be
1: <laughs> really clear, too, where uh, the PEDC nonprofit is for the companies that we have in it's a membership-driven organization. And mm-hmm. the angel network is going to sit aside that. Okay. And that's where we make. The money. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> so I do I'm very altruistic and I really want these things to succeed, but I also want to make a lot of money doing it. Yeah.
0: right. I mean, it's only fair. If you're investing, you expect the return. and uh, f- quite frankly if if you're not making money, most likely, the product is n- is either not wanted or not providing value. Yeah. So, again, we're going back to that.
1: And that that is a point that I try to drive home with, you know, you hear social venture a a lot these days. Um, If a social venture isn't making money, they're not having impact, Mm -hmm. right? Because then they're not selling their thing. People aren't using their software. You know, whatever it is the social venture is doing, people aren't using it or people aren't doing it. So if you're not Mm -hmm. making money, you're not having the (laughs) impact you want either.
0: Yeah. I see. And uh, yeah, have you had any social ventures in your um, potential energy? Because if you think about it, energy, it can be even subsidized by the government yeah. in a lot of countries. So I, I, I not- would
1: consider everything we're doing at, at Potential mm-hmm. Energy to have that double bottom line, if not triple bottom line, um, mm-hmm. stance to it. So I would consider everything we're doing social venture. You know, if you it consider an impact, yeah, Nathaniel yeah. Jackson at Green Tech Ventures as being a social venture, then yeah, I think we're, we're doing all social ventures because it's all somewhere in that energy sustainability kind of complex.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, you had a really long, uh, successful career in the corporate world, and then you had your own companies. Mm-hmm. So uh, what is your recipe that you want to share with people? Uh, what should they do if they have you know if they started out in a company and they want to grow and then maybe possibly either you know get their own business started or even do some entrepreneurial project that will get them where they want to be sure so
1: I didn't start my entrepreneurial career until about 10 years into my career career Um, and I, I just made the break I jumped out of big corporate and I started my first company. I don't always recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a lot of risk involved and a lot of sleepless nights involved. Mm-hmm. So you know I was in a position where I had a really nice, rather cushy corporate job. Yeah, um, you worked
0: at at Accenture at that time, Yeah. Right? So,
1: yeah. so so you know, the, the the longer answer is uh, my first professional paycheck came from Arthur Arthur Anderson, mm-hmm. and then I was there at, the day it split with. Anderson Consulting. So my second professional paycheck came from Anderson Consulting. Mm -hmm. And then I was there for the 10 years they ran in parallel and then I left right around the time that Anderson Consulting became Accenture. So it it was a good job. I'd been there a long time. Uh, Jumped out. Wife, house, kids, cars. (laughs) (laughs) Everything started out really well. I mean we had more Work than we could handle in my early days at fast mm-hmm. and then uh, there was a period at uh, my first client, which was uh, which I'll leave the name I'll leave out. Right. But all of the work we were doing, they ended up offshoring to India within about a six-month period. Oh wow! So we laid off a bunch of people. You know, times mm-hmm. were lean. It was a really difficult portion of my professional slash personal you know career, mm-hmm. where times were tough. Right. And so, uh, I, I think I had underestimated the sales cycle of consulting, uh, mm-hmm. even because I was coming out of this big company that had all of these these great support mechanisms, and everybody was selling, so all the sales were smoothed out. And yeah. when we hit sort of this bump in the road, at run fast, it was really, really stressful. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I encourage people to really to, to do something that I that, that I, I do myself, which is which is really not view your entrepreneurship in a vacuum. It's got to be viewed. In the context of your of your overall life. Mm-hmm. So if you have people, wife, kids, pets that depend on you financially, <laughs> you need right. to take all of that into consideration and not put an undue risk on yourself and of all of those people. Right. So you, you need to be able to either straddle for a while, if you're in a nice, cushy corporate, you know, don't just Shove that away and, and go zero revenue. Starting right, you on can
0: have a side hustle for a while. Have a side mm-hmm. hustle
1: for a while, and we were talking about this earlier, where maybe you know somebody becomes sort of that eight-hour-a-week um, consultant into a into a startup for a while, and seeing if it's the right thing, see if the relationships work before you sort of just jump into an entrepreneurial environment. Mm-hmm. But you know, I I, I really encourage people. And especially, you know, in our work at GW with the scientists and with the students mm-hmm. to view their, their life as a whole and not just as sort of this entrepreneur th- thing over here and then the rest of the world over there. Right. Um, and it's got to be taken into you know, full consideration and, and managing risks uh, across your whole kind of life platform, if you mm-hmm.
0: will. Yeah. And so how did you get out of that difficult situation? <laughs> Probably so, a good lesson so for pip- all of us. Yeah.
1: Pivoting very quickly. Uh, so I, 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 I knew there was this long sales cycle that we're heading into for, um, for the consulting work that we're doing, which was custom online corporate training. Uh, mm-hmm. And so what we did was was pivot very quickly to see assess the market and see what kind of um, sales software sales we could pick up. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went to some of the people that I was trying to sell my corporate custom development work to. Mm -hmm. And in one of my uh, discussions, it was kind of good old-fashioned customer discovery that I was doing, just really assessing needs rather than trying to sell a point solution. And the customer came back and said, I really need this style product. And it was online construction safety training. Mm -hmm. And my partner at the time, Diane, said, if you can bring me a good solution for that, I'm more than willing to do business with you. Because I was trying to sell her some other stuff. And she said, well, this is what I really need. I'm like, Mm -hmm. "Uh, Okay, why don't I try to sell you something you need? And so I went out and and did my own. We we invested in in a full evaluation of the online construction safety training marketplace and we came back and and pitched her what we thought was the best solution out there. Mm -hmm. And we ended up winning the work. And so what had been kind of a four to six month sales cycle, we turned that into about a three week sales cycle. Mm And not only was Diane in that position, but we found out there was a whole bunch of people out there in that position. Mm -hmm. And so we became the leading rep for the click safety program that you mentioned.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. They always say, here it's called a a a, a second uh, slide presentation. If you find a customer for a certain product and they're willing to buy on the second slide of your presentation, instead of uh, trying to convert others, you have to just look for those people, similar people, who would buy same style and who have the same needs. Yeah,
1: and then it it turned out that we struck a little bit of gold with the click safety model and that we actually helped them finish the product and finish other products along the way. We also became their their leading sales force east of the Mississippi along the way. So it turned out to be a really good, you know, uh, partnering type relationship for a number of years.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you say partnering, we're going back to the collaboration thing. Sure. Because uh, at that point, could have you been competing with them instead? Was it even an option if you were quite close-minded, for example? Um, not really. Mm-hmm. There, there wasn't
1: really the opportunity to be competitors in that space, unless we had picked up, you know, as a reseller, unless we had picked up one of their competitors to to resell as well. But we didn't. Mm-hmm. We we were exclusive with Click Safety, and we were just going to sell their products.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and it was probably less resistance to go that route. Yeah.
1: Then. Yeah. Okay. So, so, they, so they had to be willing to give up a certain territory for us, mm-hmm. and we were willing to be exclusive with them, and, and things worked out. Okay, great. Yeah. Good. worked out really
0: well. <laughs> so um, when you transitioned into the... Um, into your own business mm-hmm. nowadays. I mean, not not your own, but more of a your passion. I would yeah. say rather than just trying to make money. And mm-hmm. uh, when you're really teaching students, you're helping startups. How is it different? Like you're still making money. Yeah. But did your focus shift from you know ROIs and all these things to more of a the giving state of mind? Or? Um.
1: Not really. I, I still view it as a <laughs> lot of ROI. Okay. Um, it, it, it,
0: because you're teaching the same thing yeah, to the, it, it, to the people. I'll, I'll, right? I'll, I'll give you a
1: little anecdote, though. Mm-hmm. So I had been working at uh, put, at Potential Energy for a couple of years. Um, and my wife said, you need to go out and get a job. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it was very altruistic. I wasn't you know, make, making any money on it because mm-hmm. we were seeding some investments, and so uh, there's the position to open at GW, mm-hmm. and so I was having coffee with uh, Jim Chung, who is the director of the office that we're in, and, and I'll paraphrase here, but he said, Dave, wouldn't you just like to come in and get paid for what you're already doing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good one. Yeah. <laughs> I and think so, you're lucky. Those positions don't exist that uh, often yeah, yet. Yeah, so it worked
1: about. out very well. that. I'm, I'm, and Jim's been very flexible, too. So I, I've been able to carry on my GW work where I'm actually getting paid to work with the students and the, and the professors and the scientists. And then I'm also able to carry on my potential energy DC work at the same time. So right. I, I do have kind of one foot in the standard job camp mm-hmm. uh, and then one foot, <laughs> one of my other feet. I feel like an octopus sometimes, <laughs> uh, you know, in my potential right. energy world. And then uh, I'm also doing, uh, you know, my angel investing practice on the side of that, which I'm trying to pull back into my my potential energy world as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I I love that analogy with the octopus because I feel that way sometimes (laughs) myself. And uh, a lot of self uh, development books, a lot of courses, they always say just focus on one thing, never do so many. And I think it is important to do many if you have the passion and energy for it because it's really developing the ecosystem around it. There's one thing helping the other and yeah. And all growing.
1: And I get bored very easily too, which is probably I good see. good and bad in some way. So I have another startup that I'm launching as well along the way. Oh, tell us so, about that. So th- this is very mechanical. So there's nothing sort of sexy and software or science about it, although I have filed a patent for it. Um, but it's called the Feathering Erg Handle. So it's a, an attachment that goes on a rowing machine that allows novice rowers to practice what's called feathering. A, a, an oar as you're rowing. Oh. There's, there's some. There's nothing out there in the marketplace that we could find. And yes. as a beginner rower, what I found out mm-hmm. was the transition from being a, a rowing machine rower to being an on the water rower. There's not a lot of skills that translate very well from being a rowing machine rower. <laughs> uh, it's I very, see. very hard to get in, into a boat and start rowing. Mm-hmm. And so the first time I was, I was in a boat just. To, the oars are flailing and they're hard to control, and trying to get the rhythm of of how to work the oars is mm-hmm. you just don't get on a rowing machine yeah. so I developed a m- mechanical device in, in my garage with you know hammers and saws and screwdrivers and mm-hmm. put together these feathering erg handles and so I'm going to market with that yeah. as well so I have uh, in in yeah. an octopus analogy, I think that's about my fifth leg now <laughs> that's out there. Right. But, but again, I'm trying, not trying to do it alone. So I'm bringing mm-hmm. salespeople. I'm finding people who have launched direct-to-consumer products on the web before to kind of help me fill out and, and figure out a lot of these yeah. things. So uh, I was able to develop what I'll call the science around the feathering erg handle, but I'm pulling in people that, that I know uh, that, that can help me do it. Mm-hmm. I, it, it. Even just something as simple as the feathering erg handle I think is too big for one person.
0: It's true because there are so many more people positioned better to sell it and to position it. And uh, It's a very geeky product. I like it. It's a very geeky product. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. and it's so unique and niche that I think it's going to be quite a flight to sell because there are very few people who are interested in that particular thing. So and And I'm sure there are some influencers you can hire online who can also talk about it, use it, try it. Yeah. So and
1: it's a very close knit community too. If like if one person buys something and they think they get an edge with it,
0: oh yeah. Everybody's
1: gonna have to have it. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things where uh you know, our tagline is get fast faster. Mm -hmm. And I've approached some of the high school coaches in the region and they're like Oh yeah, it's like it's like free speed. Oh so, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So we'll see.
0: We'll see. <laughs> yeah. And I, we'll I don't in, know. In six months from now, we'll see where we are. With right. That. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as long as the legal community is not going to be like you can't use that in the competitions <laughs> or something. <laughs> Who knows? Hopefully,
1: there'll be no legal hassles.
0: Yeah. yeah. But I mean, the, it's a gear, as yeah. as the way I see it. Yeah, I it's, think it's, it's great. Gear. Yeah. It's yeah. So, um, were you always so handy, like? Like, was this something you grew up doing things together with your family and... So this goes back a long way. Um,
1: When I was five years old, my mom tells a story about how I went into my dad's garage and I took out the tools and I was starting to take apart the family car. (laughs) (laughs) Just just to kind of see how it worked. So Mm -hmm. I I, I had gotten as far as, I think, taking off the rearview mirrors and... Kind of inspecting them and looking, that mm-hmm. I, I was starting to go to the bumpers, and my mom was like,
0: "No, no." no. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I've always been very. But you had the curiosity. Yeah. 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 And so,
1: uh, what my last project the, the summer in the backyard was, I uh, constructed twelve foot high, essentially a chicken coop uh, around my mm-hmm. peach and pear trees in the backyard because I've ha- been having this annual war with the squirrels in my backyard. I and see. so Yeah. I tried like chemical repellents, which Didn't work. Then I tried, you know, uh, bird netting, which didn't work. And I, so it's like, it's a war (laughs) between me and the squirrel. So I, I finally like built this. 30 foot long 12 foot high what looks like a chicken coop around my trees wow and that worked. and now you have peaches and apples <laughs> and, and now we have great. peaches and apples yeah. exactly yeah so again mm-hmm. saws screwdrivers you know
0: yeah i can see you're very action oriented because you you have a lot of things going on but you still have time to do you know things that are important to you so um in this podcast we really want to see what the person is made of so like sure. you know things in your childhood that you shared was excellent uh, interesting example uh, what else has shaped you any books or any inspiring persons that you think uh,
1: that- inspiring person that this is you're gonna think this is sort of a setup but it is but uh my wife my wife inspires me every day she is focused she's focused hard working diligent uh she Gets the most out of every single day that she's alive. A- mm-hmm. Absolutely. When she when her head hits the pillow at the end of the day, <laughs> she just falls right asleep <laughs> because she's been so hardworking and, and diligent. Yeah, yes. I
0: was gonna say you to achieve a lot, you need that system around you. Yeah. Like if your spouse is lacking and or, or always falling behind. It's going to be hard to keep up. So oh, uh,
1: there, There's no problem in the McCarthy house with her falling behind. But also we sort of complement each other well mm-hmm. um, where she allows me to do these creative harebrained things like I, I don't know anybody else that would allow their spouse to go build a 30 foot long, 12 foot high chicken coop in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> but my yeah. wife has allowed me to do that. Um, Yeah, so it's a good compliment, but she's she's really hardworking and diligent, and and that helps me be sort of execution-minded sometimes, like getting things done. Like I could probably spend months just at my workbench in the garage tinkering with my feathering erg handle. But as we were saying earlier, unless the feathering erg handle gets into the market, I am not making any money, but it's not having any impact either. Like rowers aren't getting faster if I'm just tinkering in the garage the whole time. So, right. yeah, getting out and, and, and making things happen is, is, mm-hmm. is part of the inspiration I gained yeah, from <laughs> uh, that. Yeah, it's
0: finishing, executing. I just read uh, Jack Walch's Winning. Oh, okay. And he says it's the, it's the last E that he was looking for. So it's four. He uh, kind of filters people when he interviews, so it's like four E's. Yeah. He looks for energy in the person yeah. and then ability to energize others. Mm-hmm. Edge, making decisions quickly even without uh, all the information you need. And then the fourth one is executing, Execution. Yeah. is really delivering. Yeah. And he says it's four, four E's and one P, which is passion. Okay. So whatever, you know, if people are passionate about what they're doing, they're gonna be delivering more and more.
1: Yeah, and yeah. the other thing that I, that I personally phase in and out of a lot, but I think is key to when I'm really being most creative and productive, is keeping a good de-stressing routine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some people are artists and will paint, some people play music. My, my big one is, is trying to keep a good workout routine. And right. I'm not always great at that, but I, I do find the more I'm doing it, the more sort of the endorphins kick in. And
0: and you get more into it. it yeah. yeah.
1: And so, uh, so I phase in and out of that. And if there's, you know, you know advice I may offer to people is, make, don't, don't lose whatever that thing is for people. Like, mm-hmm. keep doing that. Either keep working out or keep playing the guitar or the piano or whatever it is that you know jazzes up the endorphins in the system. Make sure you get that time away from the work mm-hmm. to, to keep the passion alive.
0: That's true, yeah. yeah. I use the same microphone for my karaoke singing. <laughs> <laughs> so well, you have to let us <laughs> know when you're performing real, so, we can go, so
1: we can go listen.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we, we could, I, can, I do some open mics sometimes around this area. Right. Yeah. Good. So um so what are the other passions? I mean, you've done, uh, probably you're rowing now. Yeah, I so
1: and, yeah. and you know, workout wise, I kind of go from thing to thing. And, and I'll, I feel like I get to be a good novice. And then I, I mentioned I get bored kind of easy. So mm-hmm. then I, I go on to the next thing. And so I, I've, I did a five year stint of, of being very passionate about my yoga practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I loved it because it, it was all about balance, but like strength and balance and, right. and things like that. And I fell out of it because my guru, my my normal sort of instructor, mm-hmm. left the area. Oh. And so I just yeah. didn't have the same relationship with the next instructor that that had come in. And and, and, I'll, and I'll put that sort of guru thing on, on, onto the work life as well. Where having good mentors is, is really important. And even, you know, I'm 52 now. I still consider myself in search of good mentors and having sort of mentors o- along the way. Yeah. And so they're never losing that sort of you know, protege, mentor kind of role for the next level that one wants to get to, I think is always really
0: Mm -hmm. important. Yeah, I've always been lucky to find good mentors in my corporate world. And now with this podcast, I think I will be able to find a good mentor for (laughs) my entrepreneurial journey. So it's great.
1: And and sort of back to the yoga thing, too, Uh just the the ability to balance, uh, you know, it, and they say, what you practice on the mat is what you practice in life, right? And so it, it's balance, mm-hmm. but it's not being afraid to fall over once in a while as well. And uh, I fell over a lot. Like, I think I was, yeah. it, but when I'd you fall over. You took a risk, but yeah, you came it took, back. Yeah, took a risk and didn't know if you could do it. But then I would also laugh. Like, I'd fall over. I'm like,
0: ah, so what? You know, I just
1: <laughs> fell over. So what? You know, but but going out and trying those new things and extending out to and to past what you think you can do sometimes. And, yeah. and I, I was always surprised at what I could do. Beyond what I thought I could do, which right. is really, and really important for, for the entrepreneurial set and in um, life in general. Like always don't think of yourself as being too constrained.
0: Right. And I, I like that analogy. Just push yourself because when you're comfortable, you're not growing anymore. Yeah. And when you feel that discomfort, the first thing is you want to stop doing it. Yeah. But instead, you have to do it and yeah. just go with it and, and laugh. That's yeah. the easiest way, like you know, ah, it doesn't yeah. work, it, it, it fails, okay, I, I follow, I'll try
1: again. I, I try hard not to tell them what to do, but just give them the basics along the way, right? So my, my younger one, who is very naturally gifted and smart in math and things mechanical, mm-hmm. um, I didn't want him to fall into the same trap that I did in college, <laughs> which was, Oh, you know, leaning back on what you'd picked up in high school and college seemed kind of easy and just kind of floating into it. So Mm -hmm. uh, I want to make sure you developed as good habits very early on. So that was my big thing was develop your habits, develop your habits, whatever those habits are. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if it's, you know, when you practice, when you're in school, when you're doing, you know, you're studying, when you're taking your stress release and, Mm -hmm. yeah. So just develop those good habits, whatever those habits might be.
0: Right. I I think it's important, like, for success, everyone – in their head, things like, oh, I do this. That's why I became successful. What are those habits for you? Like so if, I can see you distressed. That's probably one thing. That,
1: that's, that's a big one. Um, to, to me, a lot of it is, I mean, and this is stuff that I gain my energy from, actually, is being around people and talking to people and mm-hmm. you know, always looking for new and fresh ideas to try to evaluate and hone and, and perfect along the time. But right. to, to me, it's really building the, the network of, of people that I enjoy working with, that will challenge me sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but but that, that I, I think more than anything is is what, you know, keeps me going and the things that I work on actively or, or try to find p- good people, honest people, trustworthy people to work with, Right. Um, because I won't get into all the stories about how I've lost money in the past with unscrupulous <laughs> people, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, it's building that real Network of people that you can trust, and in sharing and working together on things is, is really important to me yeah. along the way.
0: I think trust, since essentially you had trust in the beginning, you met different kinds of people, and sometimes people would betray. Sometimes people would really, uh, you know, be open, and you would collaborate effectively with those mm-hmm. people you trust. So, like, how do you learn? To differentiate a trustworthy person mm. from another, because this is again the the fear of collaboration is, is the trust yeah. people are afraid of getting screwed over. So, yes.
1: So, um, two two things. Uh, one is uh, I, I like the I'm paraphrasing a book title here, but it's c- crawl, walk, run. Right. I, I apply that to relationships as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's peel off something small we can work on together not let's not transact a lot of money first thing in a relationship right? <laughs> right. but let's you know, maybe transact on time that we can work on something together and then sh- reap the benefits of that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's probably somewhere between the you know the crawl and the walk and then right. the run is where you're actually doing deals together either you know together in investing together or investing mm-hmm. in a company and getting to know each other um, so you know I, I mentioned the uh, uh, Nathaniel Jackson from Green Tech Ventures I knew him for a full year before we invested in the company, mm-hmm. so I wanted to see, you know, how, how they did initially. You know, in in was he meeting his early sales projections? Was the did the company have longevity? Was he building a good team? Uh, and so we we mm-hmm. kind of went through that crawl, walk, run, and now we're working. He's on a full-out sprint, and hopefully we're, you know, providing him, you know, the Gatorade to to keep on going. Right.
0: I mean, it's amazing your analogy of crawl, walk, run is so simple, so usable, because you're just, um, you know, explain the risk management framework in just three words. It's amazing. I love it, because, you know, you have to see what you're getting into and then if your impact is low then the risk is low but yeah. the impact is high then the risk is high so but the likelihood you can't change the likelihood will always be whatever it is and, and, yeah. so
1: and, and even with yeah. that crawl walk run there's been you know, there, there are people out there that you know just as much as we train ourselves in, in things to do things there are people that train themselves out there to be bad actors and you just And that's why Mm -hmm. reputation is so important too, right? Right. You know, you can always ask for a reference and ask for, you know, doing your relationship due diligence along the
0: way. Right. Okay, great. You gave us a real good uh, strategy for collaboration, uh, for sticking to your passions and to moving along uh, and following and just laughing about it. Yeah. So I've really loved it. Thank you so much oh, for so the good. conversation. You're so welcome. Glad to be here, thank Yes. You. Um, thank you, the audience, for being here and listening to us. And uh, I hope to have you back with, uh, um, with your new ideas, new startups, and maybe some guests that you will bring from your... Um, uh, investment rounds
1: why don't we make a date for six months we'll see how the feathering erg handle is doing and how some of these investments
0: turn out i'd love to be back okay great right. thank, thank you, th- thank you thanks okay